Welcome everybody to Black Coffee and Theology. thing that I was thinking when uh, you both were talking is I was uh, thinking about the term liberation and especially black liberation, but also most liberation theologies. And I was thinking about specifically with black liberation, it's inability to name the disabled among us um, in our communities um, in various multiply marginalized identities. Right. And I, you, they had this vision to uh, procure freedom for Black people in society and the world and, and sketching out uh, a vision of the kingdom of God, but there weren't disabled people that were explicitly in that, in that number. And not naming that means that there was no vision for how would we get the freedom. How would we get there? And, you know, Esperanza said towards the beginning of the conversation that context is in everything, right? Like, if you're saying, I want Black people to be free, well, how does the Black disabled person get free? And what are they getting free unto? Are we, is, do you mean spiritually in society? Um, you don't have space for us now. So, I, d I don't have this this idea that you would magically have it in the age to come. Um, what refuge remains uh, for the black disabled person, the brown disabled person? And I, I also was thinking this thing around patriarchy. That's like a, a term that's thrown around both in popular culture and in theological spaces. And as people talk about dismantling the patriarchy, I always wonder what they mean. And who do they envision when they talk about it? Uh, because, you know, you just talked about those gray areas. When you're talking about those who have the most power, do you mean Black disabled men? In in that, because, or those of us who are, are who actually can't by the strength of will show up as uh, other Black men or other white men, right? And so, even being able to engage in that gendered conversation um, is important, right, to me. Uh, yeah. Any other thoughts, theological thoughts? Uh, I knew you, Esperanza, was ready. <laughs> Several <laughs> bursting at the seams at all times. Yes. As I'm listening to all the brilliance. Oh, my goodness. First, I have to touch on really quick when it comes to the dismantling the patriarchy piece, that the, the nuance the the nuance of benefit that is often not spoken to in that because the epitome of patriarchy is cis het white able-bodied rich man that the 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 fewer of those identities you have the more of the underfoot of patriarchy you are experiencing and so for black men who are disabled there is an added benefit to dismantling patriarchy. I mean, truly, when it comes to just the overall mental, emotional well-being of every human being on the planet and the planet itself, 
there is a benefit to dismantling patriarchy. Um, there is a benefit to the project that is feminism that a lot of people want to run away from, especially when we're in theological spaces and we like to tiptoe at it with splashing a little womanism in there. I'm just going to go ahead and say black feminism with my whole chest. Okay. Beautiful for everybody. Um, because in undoing that oppressive structure, it allows for the for the full embracing of the humanity of a disabled black man that is not possible within a patriarchal system. It's not even possible for the cis het white rich man. There's a level of dehumanization that occurs within patriarchy for every living creature. The only difference is that those with the most power, there's also a certain level of benefit that is acquired from that dehumanization. So you're basically selling your soul is what I'm saying. That's, that's what it is in exchange. And other people are just getting the underfoot of it. That's the only difference, but everyone gets dehumanized, you know? And so, but this piece, oh, Rose, that you brought up when it comes to the very interesting othering of disability, when in reality, it, it not only has the potential to be anyone at any given moment, and then towards the end of our lives, if, if we are blessed enough to live long enough, we are going to experience our bodies being less able, like it's just, it's going to happen. And I'm just seeing, it just brought to my mind how the othering of disability is, is convenient. It is very convenient when we want to theologically see our faith and our God in ourselves as being in this transaction. You know, for some people, it's called prosperity gospel. For some people, it's a lot less subtle than prosperity gospel. For some people, it's just about emotional well-being that I just need to do these. I need to tack off this checklist and there's just certain things I need to do, or there's just certain rel spiritually relational rituals I need to engage, when, engage in. I need to pray enough. I need to read my Bible enough to just feel connected to God enough that I will be protected and I will be okay and I will be healthy. You know, I will be healthy. I will have the health of my body. And so othering disability is convenient when that is the, the main core of our, let's say, popular theological thinking. You know, it's, it's like, it, it makes it easier to um, pretend, it makes it convenient to pretend that it's not as possible as it is. Um, so emotionally, it's not, it doesn't have to be present of mind. Um, and then it also allows for this really shallow um, transactional relationship with God versus digging into all the depths of the gray areas. And for me personally, I identify as a mystic. I have for many years, even before I fully identified as disabled, Christian mystic here, sometimes mystic first, <laughs> then Christian, depends, de depends, depends, <laughs> um, all of that. And so when we can other disability and keep things in these quote unquote cookie cutter neat clean well if i just do that i will get that then you you don't have to go into the bowels of your grief and conflicted feelings and thoughts and ideas and there's a whole bunch of stuff you don't have to wrestle with mm -hmm. i love that like and i love that you even that identity uh thought you know it's related to me if when people ask me, are you fighting for blackness? Are you fighting for humanity? Are you fighting for disabled people? What are you, you know, which I'm like, 
both, all of them. <laughs> you know, like, you know, do you want men to be free? Yeah. Do you want women? To, yeah. All of yes. <laughs> F all the above. You know, um, <laughs> um, and you know, and my theology is shaped around that. I, I want to ask you guys, uh, you both about a, a scripture. I have two more questions for you. One, a scripture that's popularly preached in Luke five. When Jesus heals this man that's like let down through the roof. And um, I'm just curious, curious when you see, when you perceive that scene, um, I've heard it preached. The majority of times I hear it preached, I've heard it preached in one way. But from the, the fruit of this conversation, how do y'all see this scene? Um, this, this, this person could not... Uh, enter into this Jesus crusade and needed to be let down. But um, from y'all social location, what do y'all see uh, when y'all y'all uh, see the scene? Oh my gosh, Robert, I have a confession. <laughs> mm. I don't be reading the Bible these days. <laughs> it's okay. Girl, me either. <laughs> like, I think there's a part of me that like, I, I can jump to the analysis, you know, like I can give you, oh, you know, like, um, like this, this hermeneutic would have you do this reading and this, the hermeneutic will have you do that reading. Um, but I think like what I'm, what I'm interested in, like as a person who like reads the Bible, I read it as literature. Like I'm sometimes not looking to go to commentaries to read things. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I, I keep thinking about, like, it's not, what matters to me most is not the the moment of Jesus healing um, this man, but the moment of people helping and carrying this person and like giving them like access, like helping create a, a moment of access where there was none. Um, because that moment could happen today if we wanted it to, like we can do things like that. Like we can make things like that happen and so like what I want us to read when we look at scriptures like that is see the ways in which like, I don't want to say the word healing, um, but salvation, I will say, because salvation, you know, has like a, like the root of the word, like salve, like to like, there's something about that, that is warm and like holistic feeling. It doesn't feel like we're trying to cure anything, but we're trying to apply like comfort and relief um so for me like I'm, I'm reading it looking for moments where community comes alongside someone who is disabled and to like literally be salvation in that moment um yeah that's 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 my it's reading. funny it's funny you, you said <laughs> I don't really have anything and they just said all that I will say for me uh I see something similar. Uh, people, when they preach the text, uh, and you know it's in Luke five, they major either on the the faith of the friends or the healing that comes, and they just make this through line. And for me, that's not the journey. Um, trying to get a body towards uh, healing. Um, that's that's not the miracle that 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 I see there. That's not what I am, what's impressed upon me, uh, it is people who would walk alongside you enough to carry your griefs and your pains, literally. 
Um, to me, that's a miracle because of something Esperanza said earlier in, in noting that the, the communities that collapse because you are weakened, because uh, your body is not reliable, it actually takes, that is the miracle to me. Um, people are like, the person was healed. The miracle is that somebody walked alongside you enough to know that you you were in pain. Um, I have not, I have rarely experienced that. Go ahead, you were about to say something, Rose? Yes, I was just like, yes, 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 yes. Um, <laughs> what I'm thinking about, and I think this has limitations, but there's like the social model of disability that says that disability is really about like how we organize ourselves as a society to emphasize the ways in which some people don't have access to things and to opportunities and things like that. So there's a there, I mean, there's limits to that language, of course, but like there's truth to it as well. How does our society contribute to disabling because of the ways that our communities are organized? Like that's a good question to ask. I love that. Esperanza, your, th your thoughts. Yeah, um, the, the last thing that Rose said, you just brought to mind something that has been spinning where it's it's important even to differentiate, you know, with the different diagnoses that we're carrying and the different identities where there is a difference between, so I'll say for myself, um, autism is not a disease. It is a neurotype. What makes autism disabling and debilitating is how our society is structured and set Stay up then. to be inaccessible, to be harmful, to be violent towards mm -hmm. autistic people. It is not a disease. Autistic mm -hmm. people do not struggle with socializing. We do not struggle with all these different things that are lauded and stereotyped as such. It is the way society is structured that often isolates, ostracizes, attacks, and various things to autistic people. There's a difference between that in my diagnosis of, I have something called POTS. Um, I'm not even gonna bother to try to say all them words. You can Google it if you're curious, P-O-T-S, literally like POTS you cook with. I have POTS and I also have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And these things combined dysregulate my body in such a way that there are times where I'm literally too out of breath to speak or to stand up or to walk across a room, depending on what has happened and what's going on with my body that day. And so there is a huge difference between something that is misfiring in my body to keep me from being able to do necessary things for myself and even enjoyable things for myself versus having a different, differently wired brain. Mm. But because of how our society is set up, all of these things get collected into the pot of disability because at the end of the day, it's about accessibility or lack thereof, harm and lack of safety or being safe and not being harmed. Like that's what it comes down to. And similar conversation around ADHD as well. Mm. I see that in the, in, you know, in the story and this analogy of the house and the, and the friends um, having to go up on the roof and let, you know, let this, this man down. Um, the problem was the house wasn't accessible. And I never hear that in analysis of the of that story. Um, wow, such great friends. The friends wouldn't have to be as great if the house, if people moved out the way. <laughs> if people <laughs> moved move out the way. And I, I, like, I, 
It's a gospel song. I <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Correct. <laughs> right. You know, and everyone's like, wow, these friends are so awesome. The friends wouldn't have to be awesome if the house was accessible to all. And I shouldn't have to cut a hole in the roof to get to Jesus if the house was accessible to all, if society was accessible to us. A lot of our disabilities would be moot points um, if society wasn't set up the way it was. Um, and so I hear that in what you're saying, Esperanza, uh, a lot. Um, mm, I could go for one other thing before go we ahead. Yes. Position, though. Yes. Another thing that comes to mind with that text is, and granted, it's not unique to this text, but I've just heard this story used a lot to unfortunately perpetuate this narrative where when the emphasis is put on all this faith that is had, there is also so much implication that if you are ill and if you are disabled, you are such because you simply don't have enough faith. Oh my, my, but if you had enough faith, if you had somebody in your corner, you know, all them things, we can go into it. You know, if you had enough faith or if you had people in your life that just loved you enough, you wouldn't be sick and you wouldn't be disabled. And it's, it's that fuels the shame that is tacked on to disability and illness. I've had friends where I've watched, and I'm saying this plural because it's literally been multiple of y'all. I love all of you, you know this. You know, I've just observed that even when they just get a cold, you know, even when they just get something that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt will pass because it puts them in a position where they cannot produce and function at the level that they're used to just for a few days, maybe God forbid a week, they are in an existential crisis about themselves. Their self-esteem is in the toilet. They don't know what to do. And there's a certain level of capacity I have for that process because of the far more extreme version of that I've had to go through for myself. So I'm able to hold space for them and to tend to them emotionally in a way without shaming them, actually trying to do the opposite or reminding them like, you know, this is some capitalist nonsense, right? Like, hold on, let's get a, let's, let's get some context here. Let's get a perspective. Um, but that the, the level of shame that is attached to it is, uh, is obvious even for people who are not disabled, but experience short-term blips of what this experience is and are like spiraling. And when I say that, I'm not speaking to the distress of finances where someone is stressed out because they know that the circumstances at their job are such that their finances are gonna be impacted by them being sick. That's a different, that's a different spiraling. That's a different stress. But specifically just when it comes to around their identity and just being able to get up, feeling embarrassed, literally feeling embarrassed because they have a cold. Oh my God, I can't believe I, I need you to like walk across the room and hand me tissues. I'm like, mm, imagine beloved how I feel when I literally can't even get out of the bed to go use the bathroom. You speaking. Oof, I have a lot on that actually, um, on the imagine piece. Um, oof, Lord. Um, <laughs> Last question I have is what are some, this is going to be a smorgasbord, book 
books, thinkers, resources, songs that um, are helping you get through. You know, we're talking about blackness, you know, this theology and disability. So the full gamut, what, what's, help, what's helping you uh, get through it? I, I, I'll go first. I, um, you know, I often speak about softness as an ethic. And I think uh, some people get it twisted. One, I'm from Chicago. So don't let softness be an ethic. <laughs> you forget that. Um, I just <laughs> got to insert that right there. <laughs> Woo! Um, <laughs> softness is what I'm reaching for, not where I am currently. Um, but the reason why I just don't get twisted, the reason why I speak about it, one is because of what we're talking about. One is because of this bringing up of the patriarchy that uh, uh, puts a hardness and masculinity in in a harsh way on a pedestal. Um, softness as an ethic helps to hold my black disabled male body and my theology all in one word, which is soft. Um, so in that way, I listen to the resource that I would say, I listen to a lot of piano melodies. And I know that sounds weird in this conversation, but it's because my body, it reminds my body to be soft with myself um, and that I can't uh, do everything that I would like to do in a week. And so piano melodies help me. Uh, if you went to a lot of my Spotify is just playlists of piano. Um, and that helps with my anxiety. Uh, frankly, um, it's not just because I, you know, I like the piano, even though I played the piano. Um, yeah, so that uh, I, I recently got this book, Black Disability Politics by Sammy uh, Schalk. Um, you know, it's a banger. <laughs> it's, a, it's a banger <laughs> um, um, and um you know and something rose said uh before we started recording is a lot of uh black books whether they're in the justice space or the theology space have elements that speak to the justice for um for minoritized people and so that is a balm to me in helping me weave this the story of blackness you know theology and disability um what about you rose what thinkers artists books what what you got for us i have to start by saying that i wouldn't be where i am in terms of my thoughts around disability justice and theology if it were not for erica ramos thompson who is uh, mixed race, Chicana American, um, neurodivergent, disabled, poet, scholar, activist, all the things. Um, and her and I met um, through my work with Erna Kim Hackett and we were working on this project called CUNY together. And like one of the first things that Erica did when we started working together was she like said, here are my disabilities and here are the ways in which these disabilities actually benefit our, like we, we can create work culture that benefit, that um, where like my identities benefit this space. And it was just deeply beautiful. And um, so I would say like the things like that have contributed to my growth, like start from there. And then the other stream of my um, inspirations also come from softness, um, but I, I got there through 
Um, and this is gonna take us back to the beginning where we talk about vocation. <laughs> I got there through reworking my understanding of vocation to, to name that rest could be vocation. Like, and I did not get there um, without um, having read uh, Nobody Cries When We Die by Patrick Reyes, where he talks about survival as vocation. And I was like, oh, okay, just surviving can be a vocation. Just because I woke up today and survived, I've lived into my vocations. Okay, great. Then I guess rest could be vocation. Um, and I will say to add to that, um, the condition of my body's need for rest, is both informed by disability, but also racial uh, trauma fatigue <laughs> and other other elements of things and just being in a black woman's body. So I would say when I think of books that inform me in that regard, um, Dr. Shanique Walker Barnes's Too Heavy a Yoke, Black Woman in the Burden of Strength. Yes. Okay. Um, Christina Cleveland's God is a Black Woman. Like we don't think of it as, I mean, like the thing is like, because it, it doesn't say disability theology like in lists of subjects, but like, it's part of the story. Like there's a part of the story that's deeply reflective on embodiment and relationship um, with a disabled sibling. And then also looking at different black Madonnas who in their embodiments carry scars and wounds and stories that are holy and divine. Um, this isn't a theology book, but Sonia Renee Taylor, the body is not an apology. Amazing. Um, the idea of like radical self-love as disrupting systems of oppression. Can we, can we do that? <laughs> Um, but yeah, in terms of like, for my own, like, ways of in my own body, like things I do to relieve um, stress and pain, um, yoga is something I'm getting into, learning to move gently um, with my body, take it slow, I give myself a lot of time to get places. And people will be like, will be like Oh, you're always so busy. And I'm like, I let you think that, but really, I'm resting. <laughs> I'm resting or <laughs> I got two meetings on if I see two meetings on my calendar I tell myself oh I'm gonna need a lot of buffer time <laughs> like I already know <laughs> or I have a distinct event at night well I'm taking a nap in the middle of the day <laughs> people be like Rob what you doing what what you doing I'm gonna be in the bed mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what I know for sure I'm gonna be on the bed yes laid down uh, yeah laid down that's the that's <laughs> that's the, that's the practice laid down <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. anything else rose <sighs> also um just like recently like Esperanza and i were in a group chat with like these other great like black women and like a couple um you know afro-latinas and just like with people who are like um, let me not forget our, our, our glorious <laughs> non-Black awesome friend. And like, just some people who are like all expressing just like how we have disabilities in our bodies in this space where it's like, we could share tips, resources, care, um, while also like exchanging memes and like laughing. Like, so it's not, I don't know. It just, it just feels good to be in spaces where, um, like we're moving towards that wholeness I keep looking for, where we're not siloing ourselves, we're not diminishing parts of ourselves, we don't hide parts of ourselves, we're like all, it's all together. And there are moments where, where those conversations can happen, and it can be rich and reflective. Um, but it's like, it's not all that we are, but it is part of our experience. And so I love it. I'm gonna name this before Esperanza answers. <laughs> One of uh, my bishops, so to speak, uh, is Alicia Crosby. 
And I could, I would be remiss <laughs> without naming her in this space, uh, both yes. in teaching me to listen to my body, uh, to hold my blackness, my maleness, my disability, all those things, pain, how it, she, you know, she will continually ask me searching questions. What is the wisdom, you know, your body is giving you right now? Um, so Alicia, I have to name her also being able to work at a place in flesh that allows me the flexibility with two other chronically ill and pain people work when you can work, just work. I mean, we don't expect you, you know, nine to five work as your body allows you. I, that has given me a level of freedom in imagining a society that's free from capitalism's uh grasp <laughs> evil grasp um so yeah and flesh and alicia crosby i had to name them uh <laughs> uh esperanza hmm i'm i was already thinking i'm gonna have to do a follow-up tweet and just like <laughs> tag the podcast and be like all right these are all the other things that i forgot about that i need to tell y'all um definitely the nap ministry I mean, that has been really affirming. Um, I was already, by the time NAP ministry really took prominence, I was already in that space, but experiencing the NAP ministry has been just like further affirming. And it's actually freed me up a lot in conversations with other people who are able-bodied, um, where they're beginning to get more language around rest and not functioning in this capitalist way, which then leaves more room for my existence and my body and my being, um, which has been beautiful. Um, I would definitely say for me, it hasn't really so much been texts around, definitely no texts around disability um, or disability justice, but for me, it's more so been texts that have improved my emotional intelligence and maturity that have supported me in my grief process. So a lot of psychologically heavy texts. Um, one of those persons who's, for me, made that language a lot more accessible has absolutely been Brene Brown. Her research and the way that she consolidates that and makes it accessible has been life-changing over the last, I mean, has it been a decade plus or something? I don't know. When, when her second book dropped, uh, Daring Greatly, that's when I first was introduced to her life listen love it life-changing um I love her love absolutely love her um I and I I do think that her work is extremely helpful for black people if you use it in the context that she names where you need to be boundaried up okay you need to be boundaried up um so I I do think she's extremely helpful um Speaking of the group chat, speaking of the group chat, that reminded me of something else I want to share in terms of uh, another, I mean, far more broad, but another collective space. Yo, TikTok, man. TikTok, like there is like this revolution that's happening on TikTok around disability and chronic illness and people sharing resources and helping folks uh, get diagnoses and even like connect dots. I found out I have POTS and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and some other things because of conversations and uh, uh, 
people being vulnerable on TikTok about their illnesses and what their body was doing and what things actually physically look like day in and day out um, after 17 years of doctors being useless. I mean, profoundly useless. Um, I was able to like put these things together and then follow up with professionals and, and all that good stuff. But um, TikTok for the uh, disability and illness, chronic illness community and information, the neurodivergent community on TikTok has also been completely life-changing. And there's a revolution happening over there um, when it comes to pushing back against the ableism that demonizes different neurotypes. Um, that's been really beautiful, as well as the cackles. Ooh, I don't like, now Twitter, it's either a high, high or a low, low. It's either we are like, the breath is leaving our body or we in the pits of hell talking about some some other terrible things that are going on. You know, it's either high, high, low, low. TikTok, I am cackling on a regular basis. I mean, highly recommend the foolishness. Keep your algorithm foolish over there. You hear me? Oh, it's so good. Um, when it comes to music, I can't name just one specific artist. Ooh, I might, if I'm inspired, I might make a playlist. Let's see, um, and share it. Um, but I will say just in broader terms, I, ooh, yes, that would be so good. Ah, okay. Playlist is happening, y'all. It's happening. It's been confirmed. Um, I will say that I definitely, I had to stop listening to gospel because of the, because of a lot of the emotionally immature and emotionally harmful lyrics and information. And when I say gospel, that also, I, I just, I don't really fool with CCM like that. Like, you know, there's a couple of, they be having a couple of bangers every now and then. Like, I feel like every eight years, a random, you know, white group of singers has like that one banger that's like, oh my God, y'all, ooh, y'all found some oil for this one, you know? Um, but other than that, like, I'm good. Um, so, but I, I want to be very clear that this is not a lauding CCM over gospel whatsoever. If anything, for me, it would be the other way around. And I I needed to take a break because for me, it, it was becoming emotionally harmful. So I needed to switch to primarily listening to very sad music, sad, melancholic, beautiful music that allowed me to feel the complexity of emotions I was feeling and wasn't screaming at me to feel something different that wasn't trying to rush me out of my grieving process or wasn't trying to shove particular theologies I find deeply problematic and harmful down my throat. Um, yes, lots of big time sad girl, sad boy music. I mean, healing. You want to talk about therapeutic, can't go to therapy? Sad girl music. Ooh. That's my genre right there. My genre. And that is your genre, Rose. Oh, you are, you I said it and Rose genre. was like, oh. <laughs> I speak her language. Listen, you understand? The definition so, has Rose there. <laughs> yeah, it's been mad helpful. It's been so, so helpful. Um, yeah, and I haven't needed it as much lately. It's been, it's been shifting which uh, speaks to a lot, but it's always right there in my back pocket, ready. That that sad girl, sad girl music. Good stuff. Mm. Well, y'all. Mm. Amen and amen. I, I enjoy y'all. Amen and amen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Hey everyone, it's Faith Brooks here. I'm so excited to let you know that my new book, Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter to Black Women is now available wherever books are sold. So go ahead and get yourself a copy, share it with a friend, and I am just so excited for you to get this book into your hands and I can't wait for all of us to be able to talk about it soon. Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as Three Black Men.